Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard them say, like, it's happened. And I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, okay, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome once again to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. I want to say a big thank you to you guys for once again tuning in, downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast, uh, which is episode 121. And today I am delighted to be joined by Charlotte Underwood. We're going to hear a little bit about her story, about being an author, uh, about some of the poetry that she's been involved with about her experience with mental health illnesses, including depression and anxiety, uh, about alcohol misuse, but also about the recovery journey that Charlotte's been involved with and some of the awesome projects, activities and events that Charlotte has been part of as well. It was awesome once again for me to sit down and talk with somebody that I've spoken to a few times now over social media and again such an amazing part of this podcast for me is that it provides me with that opportunity to sit down and have that open honest and non-judgmental discussion with someone about their experiences their story their journey with mental health with illness as well as wellness um, and also talk about some of the things that maybe were useful or helpful for them um, or things that they tried and maybe didn't work out uh, and for me that's a huge part of the podcast about sharing that awareness of the different range or I guess of of support of services of tools um, that are available and that are worth trying if you are struggling so I want to say a big thank you to Charlotte for coming on to the episode um, and I'm hoping that we get a chance to talk again very soon um, potentially early part of next year because we really got into it with a couple of topics and it would have been nice to have spent a bit more time on them and hear Charlotte's thoughts on those as well uh, but for this episode obviously for you guys you might already know Charlotte a little bit but this will give you a little bit more of an insight um, if you would like to come onto the podcast in the future as well please do get in contact as always you can do that at mikesopenjournal.com or you can do that through social media and again the links will be in the description for the podcast i also want to say um a big thank you to you guys for continually kind of being involved in the podcast as well in sending in um recommendations or suggestions for future guests um along with potential topics for discussion as well um and with that in mind uh i am going to be recording kind of a little bit of a look back at uh, 2018 in terms of kind of personal experiences in the year um, with a couple of people uh, and I think we're going to record that towards the end of the month and there's going to be I think three or four of us maybe sitting down and having a discussion so I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you guys and 
once again bringing you a discussion between myself, Matt and Wes as we host the Megacast uh, again later this month and we look into uh, kind of Christmas, a festive time, winter, um, potentially talking a little bit about some of the things that maybe we struggle with and some of the things that maybe help us as well. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing those two upcoming episodes with you probably later on this month. But for today, as I said, we're going to get into Charlotte's story. I'm going to drop you guys straight in to our conversation. Thank you very much for again listening and downloading and being part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we go. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you and be interesting yeah. to hear how your day's gone. Gotta think for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I've found is I've started doing this now at the mm. beginning of every episode, but only for like I don't know the last four, five or six. And it, even though I tell people I'm going to do it, people are so thrown off, and yeah. um, it does make me wonder how like how little do we actually get asked how our day was by someone that cares. <laughs> serious thing isn't it when it's not a question that when i talk about it all the time on twitter it's like do we actually ask how are you or mm. how should, oh yeah um my day it's totally that isn't it the um i was talking to someone the other day about the are you are are you okay because there's an are you okay day mm-hmm. um, yeah i've heard about that and um i think it, i think it's like an australian thing that's kind of spread yeah and I was like, oh, it's really interesting because I think, yeah, we should stop and ask people, are they okay? But also, I'm in kind of the communities and the conversations that I have, we actually ask, are you okay? Loads. But we use it as a greeting rather than a question. And so people are naturally like, yeah, fine, yeah, fine, how are you? Yeah, fine, yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and when someone sort of actually asks, like, no, how, how are you doing? Like, oh, oh, shit. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I feel right now. (laughs) That's me all over. Maybe then, how how has like the last week or so gone? The last week has been probably the same as every other week, which is just as ordinary and normal as ever. It's just waking up, getting a cup of tea, cuddling down with my dog and watching Christmas movies religiously whilst trying to do my best at my blog at the same time but very easy but I've been fighting a um, bit of a relapse okay so I've been really easy on myself and I've just been like Charlotte don't go compulsive don't feed into those anxiety fears like give yourself just a chance to unwind and get some stress and it's really hard to tell yourself to do that even like we both do it we're always trying to encourage people to talk about their feelings and not to work too hard and to look after mental health but I'm so guilty of not applying that to myself and trying to I guess push myself too much when I probably also need that little break in time for myself it is really hard isn't it and I think I don't know I think it's good in that we're probably more aware but I think sometimes we are more critical because we're like I tell people to do this I tell people to look after themselves and talk to people and here I am like not talking to people and not looking after myself and it can feel quite like I just I'm failing at the thing that I tell people to do um, rather than maybe recognizing all of the benefits of the very fact you recognize that is like a huge positive I think the problem for me is, especially with like my blog and my Twitter, which I'm always doing 24-7, it's because I feel that if I stop and I take time for myself, I'm letting everyone else down. So I'm trying to be this person who people can always go to, who people can rely on for a little bit of positivity. Um, So when I stop, it's like, a, oh, but what if they worry about me or what if they feel let down or what if I'm judged and it's like Mm. panicking because I'm really bad for doing that I'm always putting everyone else above me I think when we don't look after ourselves maybe it's a little bit of that as well we're just worried about not bothering people or worried about causing problems I think maybe that's more to it do you like I've found before I think 
it's I find it so easy to overanalyze stuff as, as well, especially when you've got like a little bit of knowledge. You're like, oh, but um, there is that side of, um, I guess, feeling kind of responsible for other people as well, and mm-hmm. like you say, kind of filling that role of being there for other people to kind of talk to or feeling like you need to be able to signpost people to different places and there being a real skill in um, not dismissing those conversations but kind of being there but also trying to manage yourself as well and um, there's definitely been times when I've thought I kind of really want to engage and talk to that person but I'm also aware that I'm talking to sort of three or four people at the same time or that actually in like 20 minutes I want to go and eat some food or whatever and I think there is something in that being comfortable and having a couple of places that you're happy to signpost people to. Mm. I think I mean I've been told since I was when I was really young I was a hypochondriac when I was 14 it was called catastrophizing by a therapist from CAMHS so as you said I do go for that thought process where it's like if I don't do this and this and this and this and this and ultimately this and that has to be how it happens and there's no other option Mm. and it's draining um so when I stop I feel like the thing the situation I made in my head will happen yes and it's it's stressful but it's also learning because even though I do what I do I'm still learning every day to Mm. be kinder to myself yeah um but it's hard to do it's not as easy as people uh, maybe we maybe we sort of do that as well, saying, "Oh, yeah, it takes time for yourself," but it is it mm. is so hard. When you um, when you said you kind of catastrophize some of that, is that in regards to maybe how um, how that situation is going to affect you, or is it affecting how it might affect other people, like if you don't reply or things like that? I think recently I'm a lot more cautious about my life because well when you grow up depressed as I did you don't really look to a future Mm. but now I've come to a part of my life where I'm actually like oh okay I might actually have a good future actually maybe I do want to live maybe I do want to try my best at this whole life thing you know Mm. um so now I'm getting nervous about making a tiny mistake and everything I care about is through the window even so what I care about is things like my husband my dog um, my blog which still falls back on other people yeah. so it's I'm very orientated around other people and I've just been raised that way I was yeah. raised under the you can't really be successful unless you help other people um, which is a good thing but it's also got a negative on it too because as you said you need to learn when to stop being a people pleaser and start pleasing yourself in in a less dice sense or <laughs> you know what I mean I do I do and I Either suppose <laughs> that's probably quite a good point I guess to kind of find out a little bit more about your story and if you're happy to kind of share a little bit about um kind of how you've become the Charlotte you are today I I think I always say like I just I've always felt different so mental illness in my head and the way I see it has always been there for me I was just born with a brain that maybe functions a bit differently to the people I grew up with like my brothers or my friends at school I always saw things a bit too deeply I was always looking at the bigger picture always looking at the bad and the good rather than enjoying a childhood full of laughter and fun I was being way too adult Hmm. I had a lot of trauma um, growing up. I was bullied my whole life. I was always in the shadows. I was never achieving anything or celebrated. Um, Obviously then I was assaulted at 14, um, more than assaulted at 16. And then I lost my dad at 18 and among other things. So it's sort of been a lot of things all at once and I sort of say my life is a kind of life which seems to only happen in you know really tragic movies where the character just has such bad luck and it's mm. almost not realistic yeah that's kind of how my life's felt um but as I've got older and I've 
uh, my throat's gone as my after I learned to grieve and accept that I'm allowed to um, grieve my dad and move on with my life I started to write and I guess I sort of made sense of myself and it's only been the last year or two where I've been this Charlotte and not the Charlotte which was in a really bad place for the last eight, uh, 19, 18 years before that. I guess it's also, um, I find it really interesting when people talk about their stories and the different times that they've felt they've been affected by mental health, um, particularly the, the illness side. Um, as someone that I can kind of look back and see triggers in my life or moments in my life that kind of sat there dormant and um, waited to explode, so to speak. Um, but haven't really felt like I struggled up until, I guess, um, kind of like late 20s. So to hear someone um, speak about it from such an early age um, is, is kind of interesting in terms of working out how different that must be. And especially for you, hearing there's so much going on at a time when if your life was perfect, that would still be a really difficult time. Like that was kind mm. of 13 to 20 age there's like so much going on with your body with your mind with your personality um I think that is difficult for people anyway and when um some quite serious life stuff happens um I kind of feel like that would be really heightened for me because it happened at that time um and that that kind of being recognized where I think often people I don't know I feel like I do engage in some conversations where people go oh like they're young they'll get over it and they don't really recognize like the real trauma that can be there yeah I mean one of the comments I got probably a few months ago from someone and they just said you're too young to be depressed you don't know what it's like to pre to be, uh, to be depressed you can't you just can't be depressed mm. And I, that's the only comment that's ever made me angry because I'm thinking I was too young to go through all of the stuff that I went through. Hmm. Um, and I, sh I guess I probably shouldn't have been through all of that, but I did. Yeah. Um, but because I'm this young person, you, it's a bit like the cancer thing. You're too young for cancer. You're too young for yeah. mental illness. It's like you have to wait until you're in your 40s before you're apparently allowed to have it, mm. um, which only makes young people more, I guess, insecure because you think, should I talk about this? Yeah. Um, is it going to get better? Is it just me? It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had, um, I've started in the last uh, kind of three to four months delivering some mental health training. And I've been in groups where um, people haven't said it, but you can kind of get that sort of feeling that I'll include, because I've worked with young people in previous jobs, so I'll include it as part of, of what I'm talking about. And you get that feeling of people like, mm, but, mm, is that really like, is that the same? Like, is that a real thing? Um, so there's a slide now where we talk about um, like important statistics and we talk about whether the stats are important or not important and all this sort of stuff um, but we also pull up um, that a couple of years ago like literally two years ago um, there was a survey done of all the people in Hampshire which is where I live um, and it referred specifically to kind of the, the suicide rates and the people that were involved in those situations um, and over that two-year period um, the ages of the people that were taking their own lives was 15 to 70. Um, so now we kind of use it as part of that talk to say, look, whether you believe it or not, this is affecting people's lives directly. The fact that someone in our community at the age of 15 um, felt so low or isolated or not able to access support that they decided to take their own life, that means this is a real thing that needs to be focused on doesn't matter whether you believe it or not but you have to agree that this is something that's serious and that needs to be kind of addressed yeah i 
because I grew up with married parents um, in a big house and I was in a private school and I apparently had everything. Mm. Um, I went to GPs and doctors literally told me, you're just being a teenager. It's hormones because I was 14, 15. And I was being told this um, and people just assumed I was just being dramatic, which still winds me up. But Mm. They didn't know that I was going home drinking, self-harming. I had suicide notes under my bed just in case mm-hmm. and multiple attempts over those years. But no one took me seriously because I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of growing up. That's one phrase people like to use. And it's not fair because I survived, but not everyone does. And it should, people shouldn't be pushed to taking their life before they get taken seriously. I um I don't know if you saw there was a couple of or oh, it could have been a couple of months ago now my concept of time is so bad um, there was um, a few people that were, were were speaking quite openly about the fact that they were going to the GP seeking support and they were kind of told pretty much um, unless you have a suicide plan and a letter like there isn't really anything that we can do for you um, and now my kind of instant reaction is like okay that's been a bit over dramatized that's been pulled out of context. The thing is, is that enough people came forward and were saying that. I was like, no, this is something that is obviously happening. Maybe not every GP is reacting in that way, but enough that people are hearing that and people are hearing it enough that there's... Because not everyone that hears that is going to come forward and talk about it. So for there to be that number of people coming forward, um, that I find really concerning that people aren't being directed to other support and services because they are out there. Mm. I've I've been trying to get help since I was 14. Mm. Um, and I've been trying and given a lot of times I end up getting recluse because there's only, there's only so many times you get shot down before you just yes. start feeling rejected, which is a big part to blame. People getting depressed is when they're not given help or they feel like they don't deserve it Mm. and I've tried and I keep getting told by the doctor you need CBT you need CBT Mm. and I'm like can I get it I'm like yeah we'll refer you and I still haven't got it and it's I've had a lot of bad doctors I've had one good professional who I spoke to on 111 who was really kind to me when I was in a crisis but other than that where I live as well it's very similar to what you've just said it's it's really upsetting to think that not only is it I'm young, but there are people younger than me with Mm. similar stories. And that's terrifying to think that children are getting the same rejection and not everyone can handle that. Yeah. And I guess it's in, in my mind, I've kind of kind of similar to yourself in that. I think, yeah, you can only hear something so many times before it does kind of jade your view. And um, I think I've very much got to the mindset now of going, do you know what, like, if if you don't believe that person's story, fuck it, that's fine. But you you need to understand that it's real for them. Um, so if someone, if your son or your daughter talks to you about being depressed or suicidal, and you're like, mm, I don't really, like, you're 16 or whatever, I, I think it's just your hormones or whatever think that's your like internal self-judgment like just kind of try and keep that to yourself um and you need to engage and have an open conversation and that's what we should be pushing towards maybe not everyone is going to understand everything but they need to listen and respect that when someone is saying something that it's real for them i mean it's important to say as well that you don't have to understand mental health to Mm. support someone with a mental illness and a lot of people automatically go on that judgment side or the side that they self-stigmatise themselves where they've maybe been pushed away from their own feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, we really should just be, we should just take every crisis or relapse seriously because you don't know if one of those times it's going to be that last one they have and yeah. it's going to push them too far and it's not worth the risk. Hmm. And I think so much of, in my mind, the kind of the conversations I want people to be having are like, 
real like starter conversations um, and ideally happening before there's a problem um, or a situation where someone feels, oh, I suddenly need to sit down and, and talk to whoever about this situation. If you're generally talking about kind of how happy someone is or if they're keeping active or what's going on with them, how their day was, like little conversations like that I think make a real big difference and also mean that if you're in a situation where you do need to talk about something that relates to a mental health illness it's not like you've suddenly brought that subject up or you feel uneasy about it because it's a type of conversation you've been engaging with for a period of time. Yeah I always imagine what would it be like if we all just made this unanimous decision as the next generation of parents to just teach our kids that they can talk about these things like if you grow up with mental health being as normal as the flu or I don't know sexual education if you make Mm. it as normal in schools at home how many people would go on a different path and a better one rather than becoming an adult of mental illness or becoming a suicide victim because I try to preach this a lot, but a child of mental illness will become an adult with mental illness. You don't grow out of it. It just gets worse and worse. And you may end up in a situation where I am where you're both not ill enough because you're not in a crisis, but you're also too ill to be treated mm. because you're too complicated. Mm. Um, but if people start talking young and learnt it's normal and mental health is normal, then maybe, maybe it would just make things better for everyone in the best possible way yeah I definitely don't think we would cure all illnesses that way but I think you'd definitely cut down on them and you'd cut down on the severity of a lot of them as well and um, as we know like it's so easy to become isolated um, even if you're in a group and I think the more we kind of encourage and support people to to feel able to share um hopefully that that kind of element of both I guess stigma in the community but also that self-stigma as well is kind of lessened um and again it's still gonna be there but it's just it's so much lesser I mean as a girl um you go into school and I don't know whether it's year five or year six but you get taught about periods Mm. when you get your period you're not that scared obviously it's a bit scary when you notice that there's blood Mm. um the first time but genuinely you're not as scared because you knew it was coming um you know how to look after it you know what you can do because every woman you know has been through it well most have Mm. and the schools supported you and so has your family but when I was 14 I realized that I definitely had something wrong with me because I was harming myself in many ways what was more scary is the fact that I didn't know what was going on why I felt this way or why I had these compulsions to do these bad things to myself and Mm. I feel like if I understood it better I may have felt less terrified of myself and more able to admit what I was doing it's that um proactive side that I guess we're trying to encourage is that actually if we if we were more forward with these conversations and the different types of support earlier on um, that would be a much easier way to go I know there was or it must have been like two or maybe more years ago now there was a a program slash kind of documentary on channel four or five about sexual health and um they were talking about trying to bring sexual health education to primary school. And um, maybe it was longer ago than that. Uh, And there was all this backlash from parents saying, oh, you can't go into primary school and be talking about pornography and sex and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, well, clearly that's not what you're going to go in and start the conversation with. You're going to be talking about bodies about respect about communication about consent and all of that stuff is like you probably might not even start off with that you might even start further back um and I think for me it's the same with mental health like just having those open conversations with people like asking them how they are and giving people an opportunity to say I feel okay but or actually I don't feel great today and 
deciphering maybe why that is, just the fact that, I don't know, maybe it's darker earlier, makes you a little bit more sadder. And just by reflecting and recognising that, you can go, oh, I feel a little bit lower. And that's maybe because it's dark at four o'clock and I'm seeing less light and I feel kind of tired and da 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 just the fact that you've hosted that type of conversation or allowed people to think that way prevents them going, oh, I feel bad, oh, I'm not going to talk about it, oh, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. And then it's like months or years later and there's maybe an illness or symptoms that have started to develop, predominantly just because we didn't talk in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the most helpful conversations I've had were the ones where people were just, they sort of asked the trigger questions and were like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Um, and provided support. But they also, they were so patient and they would sit for me like an hour or two just letting me get it out. And at a start, it would be like broken words or ums and ahs, but at the end of it, there'd be so much coming out of my mouth. It would not only unload my pain but at the same time I would learn about mm. myself yeah. and I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are um and conversations can be a great opener for self-discovery and managing your own health I was told a couple of months ago by someone that when you ask a question, and we were we were specifically talking about mental health, but I guess this is kind of general. When you ask a question and someone says, "I don't know," um, uh, I suppose it's because we were talking about mental health. This is this point. So if you ask like how they're doing or how they've been feeling, then they reply with "I don't know," or maybe like "What's made you feel like that?" And they say, "I don't know." Um, he said, "Actually, they do know. Um, it's just maybe." They haven't quite processed it yet, so they, they, they're not 100% sure. Also, there's the idea that maybe they're scared of saying it for themselves or for the person hearing it. But generally, when people say, I don't know, actually, they do. And um, I found it so interesting because there have been times since then that I've had conversations with people and they've asked me certain questions and I've said, I don't know. And I'm like, you do know. Like, it's maybe hard to verbalise some of it, yeah. but um, but you do know. And it's it has been really interesting um, to kind of think back to that and actually, like, yeah, it is about maybe providing the right space or recognising you're not going to share with everyone or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it was really interesting because I, I do kind of notice now when mm-hmm. I say I don't know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe there have been times when I've asked questions and someone said I don't know. I'm like hopefully that's because they kind of don't want to share rather than they've not felt able to um, or I've not given them enough space or whatever to kind of feel happy to share. I mean it's a bit like when someone comes to you and they say I've got to make a choice between A and B but I don't know what I want to do Mm. and I always say I think you do know what you want to do because I think we all have that gut feeling which is more appealing mm. but admitting it and then being wrong about a decision yeah that makes it scary to say but when someone says oh i think you should do b because b is better for you better for you you're like you're right that's mm. that's safe but because they've said it mm. it it takes away the pressure and it yeah it it makes it easier to fall back on someone because if you if you admitted something and you went with that and then it turned out horribly, you would at least have something to fall back on, but otherwise it can just be terrifying to admit to yourself that that's how you're feeling or that's what you really want because we're all looking for that approval and that gratification at the end of the day. Like you said, it's also that idea that it's not just my decision. You almost want someone else to have a little bit of responsibility as well. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but you told me this would work. <laughs> There's that approval again, isn't it? You don't want to. You don't want to have that responsibility all to yourself when you don't want to be completely different. Mm. So having someone else confirm it, it's like, well, 
I can always blame them a little bit afterwards, but at the same time, they agree with me. So then maybe that's the right thing to do for me because they think so. Mm. Um, but just that human, because we're pack animals, aren't we? And I think mm. it's easier to do that than make our own choices because that's bloody terrifying. Mm. That is, and I think making decisions can come in lots of different forms. It could be that small decision to um, do something or take part in whatever. It might be a, a big decision. Sometimes the big decisions are like hidden ones as well, like just for some people kind of getting up, you're like, oh, it's a small decision to step out of the bed, but it could have been a massive one that day to go, oh, I am, I'm going to get up, I'm going to carry on and, and crack on with my day. Um Speaking of decisions, um, so it would also be interesting to kind of, we got a bit of an overview of kind of your, your story and your experiences uh, around mental health, but obviously you, you um, are involved in lots of different types of writing um, as to kind of just how, how that started. Like, was it purely a coping mechanism or was it something that was kind of a passion beforehand? Um, and just, yeah, where did the writing start, really? Well, when I was a kid... Um, I was very introverted, I didn't have friends, but you would always find me at the end of every month with a new book that I'd finish in four hours because that was my friend. I could visit a new world, I could make my own version of the story and I loved that and it was an escape. Um, and when I couldn't afford a book and I didn't have the spare seven pounds, <laughs> I would have to write my own stories and I loved it because I felt like well, I can do exactly what my favourite book's doing, but I can make it my own. And I would do it on my, I'd sit and write on my trampoline, I would write on car journeys, and I would lose myself in it. And I would write about some of the things I know, like fairies, but I also like tornadoes. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Usually cross over the two. Um, and I'd also use songs because I used to love the idea that you could express yourself that way. Mm. Then I got older, and writing just isn't cool in high school. Um, you get bullied if you find yourself in a library or you think that English is your favourite lesson. And I would, mm. there's so much stigma against that. So mm. I, because I was so unpopular already, I sort of hid that and I lost track of it. I even remember laughing at my dad because he's like, he used to love poetry. And I was like, oh, poetry, that's gross. Um, which is ironic because I've started to like poetry now. Um, <laughs> then two years ago, I lost my job. Why well, didn't lose it? I had to quit because... Mm. I became suicidal and I've since found it hard to get back into work because I think I think I've got some sort of trauma um, and I'm trying to work on that but I don't like doing nothing so mm. writing was like I'm doing something productive because it's very productive um, with a bonus of being very um, cathartic as well mm. I wrote a bunch of books nothing stuck um, I thought about what mattered to me and I thought about my dad so I did a small book called After Suicide which spoke about my point of view of his suicide and it really helped to do that because I was letting go of three, four years of grief um, and I was raising awareness at the same time mm. um, as well as continuing on what my dad did because my dad also prevented suicides and did lots of wonderful things in mental health. Mm. And then I eventually just randomly started a blog and it just became a thing. It wasn't intentional, but it just happened. And then I realised I could do blogs for other people and articles. And I just sort of spurred on from that. And the more I wrote, the more I f fell in love with it. Mm. Um, but I think that's more because it's my own therapy. Um, and helping people is the best bonus in the world, but... A lot of the time, if I write an article or a blog post, it's because what I'm writing about at that moment in time is exactly how I'm feeling, and it's on something that's bothering me, and it's good to let it out. So, have you found there's um, like a different approach you, you, that you have, or a different um, kind of feeling that you get from doing the kind of the blog or the article stuff compared to the poetry? I prefer poetry in a way because you can just mess around with it there. <laughs> as much as some people may say there's rules to poetry, there isn't really. And you can just make this word jumble and make it into something beautiful, which is so accurate to what it is to live with mental health. 
because you could write pages and pages about how you're feeling, but it would only get across um, one side of it, whereas poetry really expresses the reality of it, I think, a bit better. Mm. Um, but then blogging, you can put in more detail and expand, so it really depends on depends on how you're feeling about something, I guess. Yeah, because uh, I, I guess I would imagine um, that... Kind of, yeah, the blogging and the articles give you an opportunity to really explore and explain, I guess, because you, you're going to write more, and I'm making an assumption that you are. Um, <laughs> uh, and then the poetry, I guess, I would, and again, I am just making the assumption, but that would be more of a like a raw, there's a particular feeling, and like you say, here's some words that kind of cobble together some sort of message or emotion and that being a lot more um, oh, short and focused doesn't sound right, but just like here's the thing. Whereas, yeah, the the the, like, the articles are, are more. Um, this happened. I felt like this. I went here. I did this, and this happened. I found this useful. Um, yeah. Whereas, oh, I've explained that so well. Whereas the poetry is just like, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should be quoted. <laughs> you should be a critic and everything. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I think Yeah, my my image of like the poetry is just it's more raw and, and I suppose to some extent more direct, I guess. I think it's more I think with blogging and writing it's I want you to understand my story. Mm. And I think poetry is I want you to feel yes. my story. That's that's a better that's better <laughs> that's better than who is the stuff or I'm here's how to explain the stuff. <laughs> I'll call you on that next time I do an interview. Yeah. What? <laughs> what is poetry? Oh. <laughs> here's the stuff. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Oh um I guess kind of, for me then, also getting to hear how we spoke earlier about kind of how your your journey started and a little bit about how that's progressed and um, and where you are now, I suppose, to some extent with the, the, the working and the doing the blogging and the poetry. Um, like, as we are slowly, I feel like I'm cramming this bit in a little bit, um, coming up to like the end of the year, um like are there certain things that you kind of want to do or got earmarked for next year the only thing i want to do that's different is to try and meet more people like me but that's just because i'm so recluse and people might realize that on twitter but that's just because i get so nervous of people and anxious and you know the whole what if i say the wrong thing Hmm. what if i do this having your own blog you can just not direct to anyone and it's a lot easier to fix mistakes um whereas actually talking to people it's a lot harder um so I'd like to test myself and Mm. sort of develop more confidence in meeting people than meeting people with like-minded thoughts and stuff but other than that I'm quite happy to waddle along my journey of writing because It doesn't feel like anything's changing, but it's just something that keeps me going. So I'm just keeping at it and what happens, happens, I suppose. I think that's really nice, though, to be like, actually, I'm quite happy with what I'm doing and I'd like to carry on doing that. I think there's something really kind of empowering that it's not like, actually, do you know what? What I want to do is I want to change this and do this and change that. And um so often, like, I hear people say, oh, I don't really like my job, or I don't really like this. And, like, so I really, I feel like I notice it more when people sort of say, actually, I'm really happy with, or, like you say, actually, I'm good with what I'm doing. I just, I want to carry on doing that. Um, that's really cool. And then having that added bit, sort of actually as a secondary, I know you listed them the other way around, but in my mind, it's the other <laughs> way. Um, of the actually yeah I'd like to challenge myself a little bit I've got some really cool people that I know I've started some really good conversations and I want to kind of just step that up a little bit and test myself and try and go along to to meet people I think 
hopefully the fact that you've created such a good kind of support network around you of people that you know and people that are interested in similar things means that I don't I don't know how you feel about that but that you're maybe um, less worried about doing that because you've already started those communications and you already know those people a little bit yeah it's weird because I don't know whether you get that with people you talk to on Twitter that you've never met you feel like you know them so well and yeah. some of them you even class as like your closest friends and I know I do hmm. um, but at the same time you still get worried about meeting people in the flesh because you're like but what if I'm not like I'm online or what if they judge yeah. me for my looks or who I am and oh so much more stress but I have found when I have met people off Twitter like two or three I think at this point after the initial awkwardness yes. it does fade away and it is like a lifelong friend yeah. which is beautiful but it's getting past that initial anxiety where you actually get out of bed and go that's the bit I need to work on mm. I think my <laughs> the time that I've experienced something like that the, the going along I was fine with I was like I know some of the people I don't know some of the people that's cool um my <laughs> my worry was when you start talking to people and you've clearly spoken before you're like I do not know who this is um and it's because they don't use their face as like their profile picture <laughs> I remember the first time I met um for sale that does all of the running stuff and um, we probably talked for about half an hour, and I was like, I, I can't, who, who are you? But we'd been talking for like 20 minutes, half an hour then. I didn't feel like I could ask. And so I was really fortunate that someone else kind of came over and asked, and he sort of said who he was and showed him his... I was like, oh, you're that guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it's, that's the side. That's anxiety, isn't it? If you don't ask someone their first name in the first hour, you feel like you pass a limit and you go eight years into your relationship and you're yeah. like, wait, when was your birthday? What yeah. was your last name? Wait, yeah. what? You feel too awkward to ask. I, yeah, I've had, oh, I can't tell you how many times I've had that. Um, I remember meeting meeting someone at a festival and it was like a oh I hope he doesn't listen to this I <laughs> I um yeah we met him at the festival and we happened to be walking past each other and sort of recognized oh hi 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 stood there had a chat for about 20 minutes and um we'd not met since oh, I don't know about 15 years or something like that mm. and um then one of the friends that I was there with came over um and we kind of carried on talking and I was like I can't introduce my friend because I can't remember this guy's name and I was <laughs> like I know I know him and we've carried on talking and I know exactly who he is I, just, I can't remember his name and I thought I just I now can't introduce my friend that's just come over but then that feels really weird and uh, and unfortunately we kind of got to the end of our conversation around the same sort of time and um he um he was like oh we should um arrange to like meet up properly or I was like yeah that'd be great that'd be awesome and he was uh he said we'll um we'll um find each other on Facebook or whatever I was like oh yeah great okay cool I'll I'll talk to you later and um we split up and I said to my and my friend then asked me like why didn't you introduce me I just, like, went through all that and he said um so how are you going to find him on Facebook and I said I'm not I'm just going to hope that he remembers my name <laughs> he can find me because I have not got a clue and I was still I wasn't prepared to break out. <laughs> you know what that's my approach for the whole of life really <laughs> <laughs> I was like I'm not telling him I can't remember his name <laughs> it's out of kindness though isn't it because you don't want to hurt their feelings so it's not <laughs> yeah yeah I mean yeah it is but then it's yeah it's that um I guess it's that little bit of protecting your ego as well I think mm -hmm. for me <laughs> just yeah oh that was that's definitely the worst I've ever had it no. um but I was like oh man yeah that was bad but it happens I guess so yeah so yeah um have you got any uh writing plans or goals for next year I'm gonna attempt to write a book or something but <laughs> By attempt, I mean I'm going to try, but you know you have low self-esteem and you're like, oh, I can't do this, I'm never going to get it done, no one's going to want to read it, and it's the whole spiral. So, I, I like <laughs> I like your approach to that, though. The, I'm going to give it a go, give it a try, yeah. and actually it might be that you make, I don't know, the starting point next year, and next year you go, mm -hmm. I'm either going to do this or I'm not, 
and maybe for the following year it's to actually finish a book whereas next year maybe it's just yeah. try do some do some bits that might be for it and see how it feels we'll, we'll see I think but I've had a few people asking me it's like do you uh, think you're right for Ben Rothy oh, I'm like I, I want to maybe <laughs> it's really hard to I know I write about myself a lot but writing like 40 to 80,000 words on yourself is hard mm. so <laughs> Yeah, and I imagine also takes a lot of time in terms of some of that stuff being really hard to write down and needing to take a break. It isn't all just sit there and type it out and this is what happened or this is what I thought or this is what I'm going to do. Um, it is kind of being mindful of that as well. Like it does, yeah, it takes its toll to go through some of that stuff. Always got to look after yourself, even when you're chasing dreams. You do. Oh, chasing dreams. Um, it's been really interesting to actually just to sit down. I think I noticed when we um, when I opened up Skype that did we, we were going to organise something and then we didn't quite do it ages ago. Um, so it's really cool to kind yeah. of sit down and actually hear a little bit more about you and hopefully um, be able to do it again and maybe delve into uh, like a particular topic or something next time as well definitely a bit more organized though <laughs> i'm not very good at doing that so <laughs> <laughs> oh well if you relax it, it, that suits me much better i don't have yeah. to worry about planning anything <laughs> um if people want to find out a little bit more about you charlotte where can they go and how can they get in contact with you their best bet is through twitter so that's at c underwood uk um and there's also my blog which is charlotteunderwoodauthor.com if they want to read my stuff but they're the two things that i use most of the time and the best bet of finding me awesome stuff thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and um giving us a little bit more of an insight into you as well yeah thanks for having me it's been great to finally come on here this time <laughs> no worries it's been lovely to talk to you i'll talk to you soon okay, bye These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard them say, like, it's happened. And I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, OK, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.